This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Right into it. So we want to first uh, welcome back everybody. Uh, thank you all for coming uh, today. Uh, thank you all for coming virtually uh, today. Uh, today we are learning Le'ilui Nishmat, Avram ben Chaim Yehuda and Yechezkel ben Avraham. So, like I was actually saying before I started the recording, the topic of dating is something very, very you know, interesting. And there's so much material on it. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that is, is very interesting when you look at the sheer volume of what something sells and what people are looking for, it tells you a lot about the topic in itself, the idea in itself. When you look in the, let's say for example, Torah Anytime, you want to know what a popular topic is, Dating and marriage is always such a top, a popular topic. You have um, other emuna is also very very popular, and there's a reason why these things are popular because there is a need for it. When you go and and you look at the you look at the secular world, and the secular world, we know the divorce rate is through the roof. Unfortunately, even in the religious world, the divorce rate is very, very high. Secular world is higher still, but still, still, it's 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 high across the board. So you think the people that are married, that are sticking through it, at least they have a decent marriage. When you look at the statistics, it was the statistics that I read that shook me to the core. It shocked me so much when you have people that are married. What percentage of people that are married do you think are they feel like they're happily married with the right one? Let's call it a zivug, let's call it the one, whatever terminology you want to use. How many people do you think are the ones? What percentage of people do you think that they're married already, that they are the right one? So let's try to clarify this question. So you have the divorce population, which in the secular world, what is it, 60, 70%, maybe, I don't know, somewhere between 50 and 70%, if I'm not mistaken. You have a very, very high divorce rate. So then you're left with somewhere between 30 to 40% of married couples. Out of that 30 to 40% of married couples, what percentage do you think they are happy? They feel that they married the one, their, their zivug, the one that was intended for them, and they're very content in their marriage. So the scary statistic was that over 70%, over 70% of couples in this survey, again, this is one, this was not Jewish, so I have to put it out there, but still it's, it, you know, it's still a scary fact. Over 70% of the couples say that they did not get the right one. They're married to their wives, to their husbands, and they feel that they did not get the right one. I don't know if they're still looking for the right one while they're with the right one. There is a, that is a very, very scary number, because if you think about that, there is 100% of people, right? 50% of them already you have that are divorced. Then of the remaining 50, and I'm being very, very liberal with the numbers over here, out of the remaining 50, over 70% of that 50, so you're talking about what? You're talking about 20% of people that are actually got into relationships are feel less than 20% feel like they're found the right one? Like what's what's going on over here? Like that is such a bad, such a bad statistic. That is such a bad out- outcome. So when you think of these numbers, you realize that people look around. 
people are getting ready to go to get married. People are, are getting ready to, uh, you know, improve their marriage or, you know, thinking about dating, whatever it is that they are in their stage in the life and they look around and what's going on over here. So it's no wonder that everybody's turning to these types of topics, whether it's dating, whether it's marriage, whether, you know, shalom bias, divorce, all these types of topics become very, very attractive because people feel like they need to learn more. And I can't tell you how important that is. That is so important to go before you go and you want to excel in something, you have to learn about something. So like I was saying before I recorded, I believe, before I started recording, I believe I was saying this, if I want to teach about a certain topic, I don't just take one sefer and I learn it and then I teach from that. I try to take everything that I have on that subject, everything that is available on the subject. I have here, there's no joke, if I could turn around the camera, I have here a box of sefarim, a box of sefarim just on tefillah. This is, you know, I literally spend hundreds of hundreds of dollars on these sfarim that I have to prepare for the classes. That's one of the topics that Bezalat Hashem that I want to speak about. I have, when I did my Amuna class, I probably went between 20 to 40 sfarim. And that's underestimating it, you know, really. And I go through it and I compile and I combine different, you know, different topics. So you want to know a topic. You want to be able to teach a topic. You want to understand a topic. You really have to study it very, very hard. You want to excel in marriage. You want to excel in dating. I don't know if that's a good thing. You don't want to be a good dater. You want to be a good, you know, spouse is where you want to focus. But if you want to know how to date, you want to go and you want to learn about these things. So there's a great need for these topics. And and it's really great that people are actually listening, learning, and trying to grow from this topic. But at the same point in time, even though there's a need and even though it's very great, you see how much, you can see how much we're lacking how much we're lacking in it. You look at the, you know, the olden days. Uh, when I say olden days, I don't know. You know, Holocaust and prior, you know, time. That, so the, before World War II, there was a lot of Sfarim written. But how many Sfarim were written on marriage? You had a Sfarim on Musa, you had Sfarim on Halakha, you had different Sfarim on different things. But the topics that are coming out, you look at the Sfarim store today, if somebody from 100 years ago will walk into a Sfarim store today, they would be like, what's with all these topics? What, we, we, we need Sfarim to prove God? Like, are you kidding me? Just look outside. We need a Sfarim to go and to help in marriage? Like, what do you mean? How do you not do everything for your wife? Like, it doesn't make any sense when you think about it. But in our generation, there are certain things that are lacking, and there's a need for these, for these topics. The reason why I prefaced this class with that introduction is that this topic, even though it's so important, it's very, very dangerous. And I feel it's very, very dangerous. And I'll tell you why, you know, over the years, Baruch Hashem, I was had to speak to a lot of people, and either through phone calls, text messages, emails, I have to actually put it out there. I know people are, you know, have emailed me. I am, it takes me such a long time to get back to emails. If the best way to contact me, really, if you want to get an answer quick, it's only through phone call. But, um, so I do, I do apologize, uh, with, with the delay in the emails. But Baruch Hashem, I got to, you know, speak to, to a lot of people, and I get to, to, hear what's really going on out there. And when you're dealing with these type of topics, and this is the reason why I was, another reason why I was hesitant not to give a series on like dating per se, is that people take the, there's a very, you know, like a, a polarized end to these, to these topics where people receive it. So you have some people that they look at these, you know, these type of topics, they study it so hard and they take every word so seriously and you should, 
But they take it every, every word so seriously and everything comes to... If my person that I'm dating doesn't check off every list of what this rabbi said or this book said or this help, you know, help book said, then it must be it's not for me. They take it so seriously and they're not able to go with anybody because no one can meet up to the expectations that they're reading in these books of what a good spouse should be. And on the other hand, you have people that they listen to all these classes and they study all these topics... But they don't for a second internalize it. They don't for a second think about it while they're dating and they don't care about it. So you have these two drastic, radical differences in people. Of course, you have the, the right one, which is in the middle. But you have the two radical differences. We have somebody that takes everything that we're going to speak about tonight. And if the person that I'm dating doesn't have every single thing, must be it's not the one for me. And the answer is no, not necessarily. And then you have somebody on the flip side that says, yeah, it doesn't matter. The person can have everything wrong and they still end up getting married. So we have to be somewhere in the middle. We have to know the important questions that we need to ask. The important questions that we need to focus on. But at the same point in time, we have to realize that no one's perfect. No one's going to hit up exactly what you're looking for and what, you're, what you want. The secular term of love is something that... Yeah, I guess it bothers me. I guess I could use that terminology. It kind of bothers me the way that people speak about it, how they say they fall in love, they fell out of love. You have a couple. And they say, how did you uh, meet? So, uh, whatever the craziest story is, I was at a baseball game and he came down on a parachute with flowers and champagne. And then, uh, you know, what, I don't know, everything from outside of the, like, like the craziest stories. And then how does that end off? And I just fell in love fell in love. And then you look at that couple three, four, or five years down the line. What ha- what's going on? How come you guys are in therapy? How come you guys are not happy with each other? He says, well, you know, things were you know, going okay. And then we started drifting apart. And then we fell out of love. The secular terminology is falling into love and then falling out of love. The problem that I have with falling, falling is an accident. You don't, you know, that means that you didn't intentionally want to fall in love. You accidentally fell in love. That's not the way that, uh, that love works in according to the, the Jewish concept. It's not like you accidentally love somebody. You have to work on it. You have to, you have to earn it. It's not something that you just fell in love. You didn't fall in love. You fell in an accident of the way that person treats you makes you feel happy. So really what you're really saying is that you love yourself. You love the way that that person makes you feel. So you don't love that person per se. Well, maybe you do. I shouldn't say that. But you don't love that person per se. But you really love the way that person makes you feel. So the way that the secular world deals with it, and the reason why I'm saying the secular world is because we're, unfortunately, we're very, very much heavily influenced by it. You speak to people. Yes, maybe it's, it's maybe more on the modern, um, maybe more on the modern, modern side. And you have people that they go and they say, uh, I didn't fall in love yet, so I, I don't love him yet, I don't love her yet, so I can't go and I can't, I, I can't get married. So that, that the focus is not there. The focus is, the goal is to eventually be in love. Fall in love is a very, very bad terminology. You know, falling is accident. You don't want to be accidentally falling in love. You have to go, you guys can't hear me, it's, it's going in and out. I don't know. I don't have. Uh... So it was freezing in and out for a bit. Are you good? Are Are you good? Okay, now. Right, was good. Okay, good. Okay, I apologize. I didn't know. I'm I'm on my internet connection. It looks fine, but I can't. Yeah, 
If it does freeze in and out, I apologize. I, there's nothing really that I can do on my end. I, I'm going to check to see if I'm connected. But the idea of happening to fall in love is an accident. And people very mistakenly think this while dating, that they have to fall in love. You don't have to fall in love. You have to earn the love. You have to work on the love. In this week's parasha, it says in the 24th chapter of Devarim, the first pasuk, it says, Ki ikach ish isha. A man takes a woman, uva'ala, and he was intimate with her. And it found that she didn't find favor in his eyes. Why? Found, he found in her some sort of, of something wrong with her. Immorality speaking, something wrong with her. And then what? The pasuk goes and finishes up. They went and he gave her a get. He divorced her. The question that is asked is, is the terminology that the Torah uses here is very, very interesting. Because the Torah goes, the Torah works very, very hard. I shouldn't say that. The Torah doesn't have to work hard. God wrote the Torah. The Torah goes and, and, and adds extra words to make it that it comes in a nice lashon. A very sophisticated, a high level, uh, um, a, a pure, a pure language. And we see this, for example, in Parshat Noach. In Parshat Noach, when, when Noach had to go and get all the animals, it says in Noach, in, the, in Bereshit, in chapter 7, verse 2, it says, Of all the pure animals, you have to take seven of the pure animals, the Torah, the, the, the Pasuk tells us. And then it says, And from the animals that is not Tahol, not pure, the question that the Mephashim asks is like, I don't understand. The Torah is so particular, so meticulous, and every single letter, forget about the word, every single letter that is used in the Torah. So how come it says, From the behema, from the animals that are not Tahor. That's, that's an extra word. Why doesn't the Torah just say, Of all the animals that are Tameh. And then you would save a word, and then you save another letter on the Torah for Satameh. Three verse four letters. So why does the Torah go, uh, go and add extra letters and say, add words, and say the one, the animals that are not pure? Meaning, the Torah goes and says, take seven animals of the pure animals, and then of the not pure animals, you know, we take two. The question, it should have says, of the pure animals, you take seven. Of the impure animals, you take two. Why does it have to say the not pure? Every letter makes so much of a difference. Every letter we analyze it. The answer that Mephashim tells us is that the Torah goes and uses a clean, a lashonaki, a clean, you know, verbiage to go and say, didn't even want to use the words of tme'ah, of, of impure. But rather, it's better to use something that is not pure. Meaning that you go focus more on the positive as opposed to the negative. And the Torah goes and goes extra, bends over sort of to speak backwards, to go and make sure that it's a lashonaki, that it's a very, very pure verbiage. So if so, how come the Pasuk in this week's parasha, in Davarim, in Parashat Kitetzeh, it goes and says in the 24th chapter, the first Pasuk, it says, Ki A man takes his wife, a wife, Uva'ala, and he's intimate with her. That's very, why such a crude language? Why not to use a more of a pure language? And the answer is, there's a lesson that we learn from this. And the lesson is, is that if you go into marriage, 
And if you go into marriage for one reason and one reason or purpose only, for yourself, for your own self-gratification, then it's going to end in a disaster. This man goes and the Pasuk says that he took a woman. But what was the next word that he says after that he took a woman, that he married a woman? And he was intimate with her. He had one thing on his mind and that was the only thing that was on his mind. That's what he wanted. He was focusing on his own self-gratification. He was focusing on only on his own, his own needs. Somebody who focused on their own needs, they're not going to end in a positive way. The pasuk goes on and says that he found something wrong with her. And he ended up divorcing her. Because if you focus on a marriage of only about me, it's not going to end well. It's not going to end. You have to focus about the other person. That's why the pasuk speaks of the way that it speaks in the parashat ki the, and, and not go and bend over backwards to go and use a more of a, 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 of a different language. Because there's a lesson in every word, every letter the Torah goes and tells us. The lesson in Pashat Noach teaches us how much we have to work on our pure speech and always focus on the positive, even with the negatives. The, the lesson that we learn from Pashat Kitetse when a person goes and marries somebody for only his own needs and own desires, teaches us that if you do do that, if you do focus only about yourself, your end is going to be what? Your end is going to be in a divorce, unfortunately. Now, there is something very, very interesting. When you look and you read stories and you, and you study about the, the period of the Holocaust, you realize people back then did not focus so much on themselves. Even though they had the biggest need to focus on themselves, they didn't focus on themselves. But as we go and we move further and further away from the Holocaust, it seems that we more focus only about our eternal self. You know, one of the things that I tell people, you know, you walk in the street and you find out that there is a stain on you or your zipper is open, whatever it is that's going on. And you feel so embarrassed. You know, you have to realize nobody cares about you. Everybody is so self-absorbed with their own issues, with their own problems or with their own ego, with their own stuff that even if they see something weird, odd, different you know, about you, they think about it for a second and then they go back to their own problems. You know, back to their own issues, back to their own fantasies and dreams and whatnot that they're going on in their head. But back when it was in the Holocaust, it was a little bit different. There was a very, very famous story that is set over by Howard Schultz. Howard Schultz was the CEO of Starbucks. He, I believe he was one of the founders of Starbucks. So he, along with a group of businessmen, now, when you t- speak about a, a billionaire going with a group of businessmen, you got to know that these group of businessmen are very wealthy, very powerful people. They went and they were visiting Israel, Israel, and they had an opportunity to have a meeting with the Rosh Yeshiva of Mary Yeshiva. And that was Rav Nassim Tzvi Finkel. And they go in to meet with the Rosh Hashiva, and they had to wait. Like, I don't know, like everybody else. Just shows you the godless of, you know, the greatness of, you know, somebody who, like as Rav Nassim Tzvi Finkel. You have somebody that's, you know, a few billionaires are sitting in your waiting room. What does anybody think? Okay, you stop what you're doing and you meet the billionaires because they're coming in to speak to you. But no, Rabbi Nathan had more important things than speaking with, the, with these billionaires and he had to finish whatever he was doing and then he went and uh, they came in. Now, Rabbi Nathan Finkel was, uh, you know, unfortunately afflicted with a very, very severe case of Parkinson's disease. Parkinson's disease have with them tremors, these, these uncontrollable shakes. And when these businessmen came and they saw the rabbi, they came into the rabbi's room and they saw him shaking, they felt bad 
looking at that, you know, at the rabbi, you know, like, obviously there was some sort of, you know, physical, you know, defect going on over there, and they didn't, they didn't want to look at the rabbi. So they started looking down and avoiding the, the you know, looking at the rabbi. Rabbi, rabbi Nathan Sifinkel got, you know, like, up, and he, like, put, slammed down his fist on the, on the table, and it was a loud bang, and all of them jumped up. And he goes at them and says, gentlemen, look at me. And he, everybody's looking at them, all these billionaires are looking at them. And he goes over to them and he tells them, he says, what is it that we learned from the Holocaust? So they initially thought that this was a rhetorical question. The rabbi asked, well, okay, fine, I'm waiting for the answer. But he wasn't. He was looking at them, he was waiting for them to answer it. When they weren't answering, he pointed at one guy, he called another, on a guy, and he says, tell me, what was the lesson that we learned from the Holocaust? So the guy was like, lesson from the Holocaust, I can tell you about the stock market, the Holocaust. So he's thinking for a second, and he says, you know what? You know what we learned? We learned that we will never, ever forget what happened. And Rabbi Tzvika is like, ah, dismisses him. And he looks around the room. And now all the other businessmen realize, this, wait a minute, and now the rabbi is going to call of us? What happens when you have a, you're in a classroom and a teacher is about to call on you? You avoid eye contact because you think all of a sudden, if you don't see them, it's like back when we were little toddlers. If I don't see them, they don't see me <laughs> somehow. See, they're all avoiding eye contact. And he looks around the room. He calls about another, another billionaire. And he says, tell me. What is it that we learned from the Holocaust? So this person goes and he says, you want to know what we learned from the Holocaust? We learned that we will never ever again be a victim. We will fight, we'll have an army, we'll have, we'll have the ability to go and fight back. And it's never going to happen again. And again, Rav Nassim Fikal said, ah, not the answer that I'm looking for. And he looks around the room. And he says, gentlemen, you want to know what we learned from the Holocaust? Says you know, in the Holocaust, people were transported by the worst possible way. They went and they were in this rail car where they would put cattle inside. There was no even a holes that you would, windows or places that you would be able to breathe. There was a little there was a little crack in the wall. They would take turns taking br- fresh breaths and then circulating that and making you know some sort of like hakafot over there so that somebody could, that everybody could have some some fresh air. Everybody was crammed together for who knows how long. And then they finally got to their destination. And it was in the Bahamas. It was in Cancun. They went to there and they realized that it's either labor camps, they got to work to death, or they are going to the crematorium, or it's, it's death camps. They weren't going to anywhere good. And they finally got off these rail cars, and they're going, and they're getting ready to be lined up to be shipped off to wherever they're shipping off to. And the Nazis played this sadistic game. They went and they started splitting the families apart. They're not going to keep the families together. So husbands and wives got split. Daughters got separated from the mothers. Sons got separated from the fathers. And then the Nazis started counting them. And every sixth person got a a blanket. Now this was the cold European winters. One blanket for every sixth person. Now it was that person's blanket. And that person could decide what he wants to do with that blanket. The question that everyone had was, am I going to take that blanket and keep myself warm? Or am I going to go and share that blanket with five other people? Says Rav Nelson Finkel. Says these people had every reason to go and keep the blanket for themselves. They lost their homes. They lost their jobs. They lost their financial 
standing, whatever it is that they had. They lost their families. They lost their health. They lost their dignity. They had nothing. Zilch. Nada. They were gone. You know what they had? They had one blanket. Now they had this one piece of item. This one thing that would keep them warm at night. What are they going to do with that blanket? Says Rav Nafzal you want to know what they did? He says, you don't want to know what we did during this, with this blanket? He says, we took this blanket and we shared it with five other people. Now he looks at all these wealthy people. And he goes and he tells them, each, each and every single one of you, you are blessed, you got a blanket. God gave you a blanket, God blessed you with panasa, with wealth. The question is, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to keep that to yourself or are you going to pass it on to five other people? When we do things in life, we have to stop and think for a second. Do we do it for us or do we do it for the other person? Do we only think about ourselves or do we think about somebody else? The Holocaust taught us to stop for a second and think about the other person. Even though you don't have a family, you don't have your dignity, you don't have food, you don't have, you don't have nothing. But you're going to think about somebody else. You do chesed. Do you think about what I am doing for this person or what I am getting from it? You go, you visit a sick person. Do you go when you realize that I am doing something that's going to give me eternal reward, that's something that it's really what I'm doing when I'm visiting a sick person, is I'm doing, I'm really gaining more for me than for the sick person. Or you go and you wait for the thank you that that sick person should tell you. Can't tell you how many times you go and you visit a sick person and you, you, you grow so much, from, you gain so much from that visit. Recently I went and I visited a neighbor of mine, unfortunately was in a very, very terrible car accident. Broke his pelvis in both areas. Had pins sticking out in, in all directions. Was in excruciating pain. Was, what happened was a fire truck hit his car. Fire truck blew a red light and hit his car. He was sitting in the hospital. Has to go through a rehab. Was in a nursing home at this point in time. Young, healthy guy. You go and you... I, I went and I visited him. And I can tell you that I went out of that nursing home... You know, I, I went in thinking, okay, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go visit a sick person, you know, visit someone in the, in the nursing home, do a mitzvah, something that you need to do, very, very good thing to do, and strongly recommend it for everybody else. But I left over there thinking, I'm like, I thought that I am coming to help him, I realized that he came to help me. I didn't even yet to tell him this. You want to know how this person spoke? This person has a business. This person has a family. This person has everything over And then what? HaKadosh Baruch went and basically put him on bed rest. Took his pelvis, shattered it, amongst other things, and put him in the hospital, then putting him in the nursing home. If you would be able to hear how this person spoke, every other sentence, Baruch Hashem. Every other, thank God, thank Hashem. You know how much you gain from that? You know how you realize that you suddenly have a bad day? Be like, oh, I can't believe like this is a bad day because uh, you missed a meeting or whatever. I couldn't close the deal. There's so this is a, somebody that went and was in a severe car accident, and all he could say is Baruch Hashem. All he could say is thank you, God. You want to know what a chizik that is? I came and thought I was doing him a favor. Really, he was doing me a favor. You go and you do something, and we say, okay, we're doing it for somebody else. No, 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 no. That's not the correct way. 
When you're doing something, you're really doing something for yourself. You're really doing something for yourself. But, but, a big but over here, that you cannot think that way. When you do something, you have to think that you're doing something only for the other person. When you go and you give charity, you give tzedakah, don't wait for the thank you. Don't wait for the blessing. Because you want to know something? That guy, that poor guy that you just gave money to, did more to you than you did to him. Really, what you should say, what it really should be, is that you should say thank you to him. That's really what should happen. The point that I'm trying to get to is that when we do something, we have to realize that we're doing something, even though we're gaining from it, our focus needs to be the other person. The lesson that we learned from the Holocaust, the lesson that we learned was that when we have even nothing, that we have to think about somebody else. Even when we're doing something for somebody else, we have to think that for that person. When you get into marriage, your focus has two options. Either it's going to be all about me, or it's going to be all about my spouse. It's going to be all about the other person. Nowadays, we're becoming very self-centered. Very, very much focused upon ourselves. We have to stop daily, I would really say hourly, if we could. And stop for a second. And think not what I could do for myself, but what could I do for somebody else. The word love in Lashon HaKadosh, in Hebrew, is Ahava. The root of Ahava is to give. You want to know how to love somebody? It's not about how that person makes you feel. Yes, it's related. It's not about what that person does to you, even though, yes, it's related. It's not about all the things that go in your... It's about one thing and one thing only. It's about how much you give that other person. You want to love that other person? Give that other person. The more that you give, the more that you love. And that is why the greatest love is a love from a parent to a child, because a parent just constantly, constantly gives a child. It just non-stops. You have a mother that, that goes and wakes up non-stop for the baby. Non-stop. Every hour wakes up for the baby. But you want to know what the mother does every time that she wakes up for that baby? She hasn't slept in nine months. Ten months. The baby is always waking up. She has to feed her. She has to change. She has to do that. What does a mother do? One of the first things, she picks up the baby and she gives the baby a kiss. That's imagine that you have somebody coming into your office or whatever it is and just banging on your window and on the hour, every hour, and you get out and you be like, thank you for banging on my window. What could I do for you? And yet what you think that eventually you get so upset, so angry at the child, like what do you, give me a few minutes to rest. But yet the mother picks up the baby and just gives the baby a kiss and hugs the baby. I love you. How could you love her? How could you love this baby? How could you love this baby boy or baby girl? How could you do it nonstop draining the life out of you? How can you do it? You want to know why? Because you're not stopping to give to the baby. And no matter what, the more that you give, the more that you will love. The focus of marriage is what could I give the other person? And you'll soon see why this is such an important introduction to what we were about to speak at. To, to understand this, I, I must have said this story before. If not, I should have said it like a thousand times because it's a great story. It's a short story, but it's an amazing story. Uh, the Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky was one time drive, was at a wedding and he needed to ride home. So 
if you want to go and, you know, I utilized this, you know, once before. There was a gadol that I needed to speak to. So I found out that this gadol goes and drives. He, there's a, he has a driver and drives him back and forth to, to the yeshiva, to his house. And I said, you want to know when I want to speak to this gadol? I want to speak to when he's in the car. He says, why? Because he can't run anywhere. He's going and he's driving. I know that I have a minimum of five minutes. And if I know the driver well, I said, listen, take the long route. Or I have a few questions. So I went to a certain Mechobol in Israel. And I knew the driver, and I asked him, you know, can I, can I tag along? I have a bunch of questions. I need to, to you know, to speak to him. And uh, he said, fine. And, you know, I'm, I got a law, and I, you know, I was literally, like, one after another, like, asking him questions in the, in the car. And the concept of when you have a gadol in your car, you realize the godless of that is. You realize that you're able to go, and you have a one-on-one appointment, you know, an opportunity over here that, you know, you'll never, where else can you have that? Where else can you have a 20 minute, uh, you know, conversation with a gadol? The gadol is very busy, always going, but it's in the car. What is it going to do? It has to talk to you. You know, you're driving. So, Rav Yaakov Kavnetsky needed a ride home. Of course, everybody jumped to the occasion. Everybody wanted to give him a ride. One bacho, one boy wanted to go and give him a ride. And he goes over to the rabbi, Rashiva, and he says, listen, can I, I can give you a ride. So the Rashiva looks at the boy and he says, what car do you have? And the boy is thinking, he's like, you want the make and model? Like, like what, do you, what is it that you're looking for? Like, what do you want? He's like, no, what, like, what type of car? He's like, I don't know, it's a four-door sedan, you know, like, you know, the 200 horsepower. Like, I, I don't know, what is it? He's like, you know what, show me the car. So the boy says, fine, not a problem. He pulls the car around. The Rosh Yeshiva, the rabbi, walks into the car, sits in the back seat. Sits in the back seat, like, you know, leans back a little bit, you know, waits a few seconds and says, you know what, yeah, you could take, yeah, take us home. So the boy says, you know, Rabbi, he says, you got to help me out over here. He's like, what, what does it matter? You know, I, like, what's going on? Like, he couldn't even begin to ask the question. Like, well, you're like what you doing? Like, what, what's going on? So the rabbi goes and says, listen, he says, you're taking home me and my wife. My wife is going to be sitting in the back for a long time. I'm going to be sitting in the front. I want to make sure the back is comfortable. My wife has a bad back. My wife has an issue. So I want to make sure that she has a comfortable ride home. So you want to know how a guddle thinks? You want to know how somebody who is great thinks? They don't think about themselves. The, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky couldn't care about if he had a Lexus Kia or a 1920, I don't know, whatever, Toyota Kia, you know, like whatever, a Ford, whatever, one of the first cars. He couldn't care less about that. But you want to know what he cared about? He wanted to make sure that his wife is comfortable. Because he didn't think about himself. He thought about his wife. He thought about his spouse. He thought about somebody else other than him. That is the focus that we need to have. And that is why something very interesting. The first bracha we recite under the, like, of the Sheva Bachot is Shahakol bara lechvado. That everything was created for God's glory. Now the question that we have to ask is what does that have to do with marriage? That you start off the, you start off the, you know, the Sheva Barachot. How do you start off? Everything was created for God's glory. What does that have to do with marriage? What does that have to do with being married? This is the first Barachot. This is what they have, the Chatanikah after here. Says, Rabbi Tversky. I knew that I was going to be quoting it. That's why I was asking the, you know, the Tversky family over here. So said Rabbi Tversky. Says, you want to know why? The first Baha'i that everything was created in God's glory, in Hashem's glory. It says, when if a couple goes into marriage thinking all about my glory, 
all about his glory, all about her glory, all about how this marriage is going to make me feel, it's going to end in disaster. He says, you want to know how you're supposed to get into marriage? You have to get into marriage realizing that everything that God created, that everything that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created, for His honor, including this marriage, everything is for the honor of God. It's not for me. It has nothing to do with my glory, my happiness, my satisfaction. It has to do with one thing and one thing only, and that's God's glory. Because when you go into marriage realizing the focus is what? The glory of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The glory of somebody, something, some entity else other than yourself. That is going to lead you to a successful relationship. You know, the line that I say again and again, and, and it's probably every single class I give about marriage, I would probably say this line. And if not, I should, because it's such a great line. It's not about finding the perfect one. It's about becoming the perfect one. People in life are always looking for that perfect person. Forget about looking for the perfect person. Focus on yourself and you becoming the perfect person. You become that perfect spouse. You know, the Torah goes and speaks about many, many things that are good. You know, every day the Torah says that this, that, you know, everything that God created, and it was good. Everything God created, everything was good. One of the first times that the Torah speaks about that, it's something that was not good. It's in Bereshit chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Vayomer Hashem Elohim lotov hiyot adam levadon. It is not good that a person be alone. I will make him a helpmate against him. God goes and says it's not good that a person is alone. The first time that it says that, that not good, it means that a human being is not supposed to be alone. Alone. I remember one time I was speaking to this girl. Didn't want to get married. You know, me, you know, thinking, you know, from all the books and the lectures and the things and the people that I spoke to, and, well, not want to get married, must be some sort of problem. Uh, okay, how was your upbringing? How was your psychological, you know, like asking all these, everything was fine. Girl just didn't want to get married. Don't, still, to this day, don't know why. I have no idea. I have no idea the reason for it. Well, and I, maybe she did and she didn't want to tell me. I don't know. Just didn't want to get married. The Torah tells that it's not good for a person to be alone. A person has to be with somebody else. And that's why Kaddish Baruch Hu, what did Kaddish Baruch Hu go and say? That I'm going to make for him I'm going to make him a helpmate opposite him. Against him. You know, we think that we want to find that perfect person. Everything in our checklist. Got to check, 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 check. Everything that we have. Everything that we want. We want everything to be checked. That's not the focus. The focus is not just what we're checking off. That you think that oh, if on paper everything is good, it must be that everything is good. It's not true. It's not ezakinagdo means that, that not somebody that matches everything that you wanted. It's somebody against you, so to speak. The, the, the literal translation, meaning that it's not somebody that it's perfect for everything that you wanted. It's somebody that's going to help you grow. Somebody that you can grow a life together. It doesn't have to be perfect on all areas. Now, that was really an introduction. So that was really like a, what is it, a 39-minute introduction that we had. So we'll begin with some questions. Really, the focus was to deal with some questions. And we'll start off with questions. It looks like I'm going to have to split this up into two classes. Uh, But we're going to start it off with questions, not about the other person, but questions about myself. 
questions that I have to ask. You know, we come into a dating situation and we ask a lot of questions about the other person. Does he do this? Where does he work? How is his family? Does he take any Medicaid? Blah, blah, blah. We have a bunch of questions. But now we're going to start off with asking questions that we have to ask ourselves. Now, the... I have, to, I have to preface this with like, even if you're failing in every single question that we're going to be dealing with, that we're going to be asking, that doesn't mean that you're not ready for dating. And this is where I started with the introduction, how you have to be so careful and what you're saying and how you're saying it because people are going to go and be like, okay, I don't have all these jobs. It must be I'm not ready to get married. It must be I'm not ready to date. And that's wrong. That's not the correct way. Uh, you actually should be speaking to your rabbi, your mentor, your rabbinate, or somebody, your parents, you know, to see if you're ready. And if you're ready, then you should go out, even if you're lacking in some of these areas. But if you are lacking in the, some of these areas that we are about to speak about, that is what you know you need to work on. I'm going to start off with number one, even though it's not number one. And it's not in any particular order. I didn't make this any particular order. But these are things that are important that you have to ask yourself before you start dating, or while you're dating, or even while you're married. (laughs) These are just things that you would need to work on if you answer negative to these uh, questions. Number one, can I accept criticism? If someone tells me I'm doing something wrong, how do I react? Now, I have to very, very much put a very big asterisk. That doesn't mean that the other spouse is supposed to criticize you. Absolutely not. That should never, ever happen. You're not supposed to criticize the other spouse, ever. That's not the goal. But the question is, can you accept criticism? Not can you give criticism, but can you accept criticism? Because why is it so important? That shows that you realize that you're lacking. And that shows that you're able to grow. Because if you're a type of person that can't accept criticism, that any fight that would ever happen, any disagreement that ever happened, anything that you may have done or anything wrong, you're not going to be able to handle that. You're not going to be able to relate with that. You're not going to be able to deal with that. You have to realize, do you have the ability to be flexible? Do you have the, the, mm, I want to say self-restraint, but I won't. You know, to explain this one is, I've spoken to, oh, this is a long time ago, I believe it was a woman, was dating a guy, and she was saying, you know, the guy had some issues and she was like, he has to accept me for who I am. I don't ever plan on changing. I don't want him to be like that. Or whatever. I don't ever plan on changing. Changing. This is who I am. This is who he has to go and accept me for who I am. And I responded, I'm like, you are 100% right. He has to, you know, accept you for who you are and never accept, you know, expect you to change. But you should not accept who you are right now like and, and say that you're never going to change. What type of mindset is that? What type of mindset is that you never want to grow? You want to stay where you are right now? You have no interest in changing? You want to get any uncomfortable position, the situation where you're going to have to go and change? Our purpose in this world is to grow. Our purpose in this world is to change. Yes, the other spouse should never want you to change, but Are you flexible enough that you realize that you have the ability, that need to go and change? Do you have the desire to grow? It's very, very important, and that's why this is important. Am I flexible? Am I flexible in in, in change that I need to make? It's not because that person is going to need to change you or should change you or would ever change you. The answer is 100% no. But let's speak about reality. Reality is, is that 
How do you accept criticism? Are you able to grow? Are you flexible? Are you able to change something? Or are you so set in your ways that you're not going to change? One of the reasons, this is my own opinion, I don't know if it's right or wrong, that you, when I deal with older singles, you would think that as you get older, you would be more flexible, more you know, lenient on like what you're looking for, you know, more willing to change, more willing to grow. But I see that the opposite, which is mind-boggling to me. Like, if you're 40 years old, never been married before, why are you so particular of everything? You realize this is not working out for you. So start focusing on something else. But some, some people are just not, they don't have the mindset that they're able to change. They're able to go and, and, and become something else of what they were sort of pushed into or whatever corner they built themselves up to. The next question you have to ask yourself is your patience. And by the way, I have to like, this is not things that I just, you know, thought about, be like, hey, this is a good thing. To, like, no, these are things that I went and I, I looked up and I read from different, you know, uh, people that are well-versed in this subject. Uh, you know, actually quite a few of this was actually from Rabbi Victor Miller, uh, from different therapists of what they say, what's very important in relationships. Patience, do you have patience? Do, patience is very, very important. Do you have to get everything that you have right here, right now? If your spouse asks you to do something, do you demand it happening right now? That's going to end in disaster. Do you have the ability to have that patience of like, okay, if it didn't happen yet, maybe it will happen. You want to know how? You could test yourself if you're dating and you have patience. How anxious are you when you're dating and you feel like you have to get married so badly? Do you have to say, listen, if God didn't send it to me yet, okay, I'm going to do my heshtablut. I'm going to do the effort that I need to do and then God will send me when it comes. Where is the level of your patience is so important in relationships? You know, this is also a subcategory in that is self-control. Do you have self-control? It's not only self-control where somebody's going to say something and you want to fight, you have a, such a good comeback back to that person. Even in your desires, do you have self-control? Do you have the ability to hold yourself back and be like, listen, I want something, but I didn't get it yet. You asked your spouse for something and they didn't do it yet. Do you have that self-control to go and say, okay, fine, let me wait. Like, or do you blow up right away and which leads up to the next thing, how is your anger? Do you have anger problems? Now again, I have to go and stop this, the, the, you know, these questions right here. Even if you checked, even if everything I just said, you were like, criticism? Oh no, I can't take criticism. I am not flexible. I do not have patience. I do not have self-control. I have major anger issues. Must be I'm not ready to get married. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying these are things that you need to work on. Maybe if you have all these issues, yes, you might not be ready to date, but I'm not telling you that. I'm, that you have to speak to somebody else. What I'm telling you is these are things that you have to focus on. There are certain character traits that are very, very important. Very important in, in a marriage. And these are things that you want to get into it. We spoke about the statistics in the beginning. You want to go and you want to build yourself. Forget about finding the perfect one. Become the perfect one. So how is your anger? Do you blow up every single time? I got to say this. I, you know, It's only from speaking to people. So... You know, I don't know why, but it appears to me that I see that more men have more of the anger issues than than women. But interesting with the women, you know, this is something that I just picked up again. I don't know if it's true or not. Maybe it's just the people that I speak to. They have a more of a need for having the. They want something. It has to be very instant. I don't want to say instant gratification because it's not that. So there is different. You see, I see, I pick up on different pros and cons of the different genders of what they have. 
And it might just be the people I spoke to. I don't know. It just whatever it is, it's just something that's interesting. So some of these things might speak to you. Some of these things might speak to somebody else. Anger is huge. If you have an anger problem, that is your kids is going to suffer from that. Your spouse is going to suffer from that. Your relationship is going to suffer. Your business are going to suffer from that. Everything is going to suffer from that. So if you're someone that gets angry, you have to go and you have to work on that. And by the way, everything that I spoke about. Until now, from criticism to flexible to patience to self-control to anger, you want to know what is a one underlining reason thing that could answer all these questions? What do you have to focus on? One of the many things that you could focus on, I should say, is anivas, humility. Humility would go and almost take apart all these things and mend you into the type of person that you would be able to accept criticism. You would be willing to grow because you realize that you have something to grow. You would be flexible because you would think about somebody else. What am I? I'm nothing. You would have patience because you're going to, again, you have humility. Okay, somebody else is greater than me. I have to go and speak. You'll have self-control. Be like, how could I go and have this? You know, like I'm a nope. So you have so many things. Anger, forget about it. Of course you're going to have that. There's so many underlining character traits that if you focus on, you work on, it would it would sort of, has like its its roots in, in, a, diff- in, in a sort of a different character traits. So Anivas, humility is a huge thing. That's why you open up any, any Musa Sefer. What does it speak about? Almost every Musa speaks about humility, Anivas. The next question is, can I see the glass half empty, half full, or empty? I should not see it half empty. Are you a type of person that is a pessimist? Do you always focus on the bad? The reason why I say that is if you're dating somebody and you're always focusing on the bad, you're always going to find fault with everybody. So can you see good in people? That doesn't mean that you should be blind to the red flags and blind to the problems that people have. Or, you know, you should obviously see it. But where is your focus? Can you not get... There's somebody that is has a thousand good qualities and two bad qualities. Yes, sometimes those two bad qualities outweigh the thousand good. That is true. But where is your focus? Where is your focus? Is your focus on the... Good or is your focus on the bad? And again, very important. Do not ignore the bad. You're dating somebody. You got to look for the bad. You got to look for those red flags. But where is your focus? Next, next thing is very, very interesting. This one, I, I found it very, very interesting that this even came into the, you know, to the picture. Is are you a dependable person? I would never even think to put this onto uh, this, uh, you know top, you know, in this category, but it's very interesting. Are you dependable? Meaning that, do you follow through when you will say you do something? Are you dependable? This is very, very important, especially for men in the dating world. Very, very important for men, but also important for women. Are you somebody that if you say something, you're going to do it? Do you have the ability to follow through your words? The next question, we're going to finish off soon because it's a little bit late. Next question is, are you an honest person? Are you... You know, somebody that is honest, not only with other people, but also with yourself. Meaning that you go and you, and, and you stretch this out a little bit. Is Are you okay with not getting everything that you want? Meaning that not everything has to go my way. Now, of course you're going to say this. For many, many people, I would go through this. I'd be like, criticism? Of course I could accept criticism. Flexible? I am so Flexible. Yeah, I've been doing splits since I was a little kid. You know, like patience, I have patience from today until my self-control. Come on, I'm the king of self-control. I could literally be a, a monk. Anger, I haven't gotten anger, you know, since Y2K. You know, like, every, you could check off, but 
The question really is, is are you honest with yourself? Really? Do you not get angry? Do you really accept criticism? Are you really flexible? Do you really have patience? Ask your best friend. Ask your pa- well, I don't know, you know, ask your best friend that is able to give you the truth. Do you have that honesty that when you're asking these questions, you could really come and say, you know what? No. I can't accept criticism that well. I, I need to grow. I need to be able to become more flexible. I need to have more patience. I have to go and, and work on my anger. You have to, we have to realize that honesty is not only being honest with other people. It's also being honest with ourselves. It's also being honest of where we're holding in our life. What type of person are you? You want a perfect spouse? Where are you holding? Are you perfect? Where do you have to grow? Where do you have to fix? And finally, the last one. I believe this one I added myself. I don't know if I saw this anywhere. And that is, am I willing to stick things through? In marriage, very unfortunately, sometimes you have little fights, little arguments, little disagreement, and the second there's a little disagreement, forget about it. It turns into a huge thing. Everybody leaves, storm out of the house, go into, you know, everything turns into a huge thing. Do you have the ability to stick through the bad? Stick through the good is very easy. But do you have the ability to stick through the bad? You're getting into marriage. Now, of course, there are times where divorce is needed and divorce is warranted and is necessary. But majority of times it's not. Majority of times, do, do you have the ability to stick it through? You're getting into a marriage. Do you have the, the desire to make these things work? These are the questions that you should ask yourself before you start dating, while you're dating, or even after you're dating and you're married. And if you fall you know, in the negative, in any of these, these are things that you have to start focusing on. And the truth is, there's more. There's a lot more to this. But it seems like we're going to have to split this class into two uh, because there's quite, uh, there's quite more to speak about. And I thought I'll do this in one class. But Bazaar Hashem, we'll, well, I guess we'll speak about this next week and, um, you know, continue on this topic. With that, we'll open two, uh, two questions. So we have the first question is, how does one practically work on humility? So the first thing that I would say that a person should work on humility is by learning Musa. Musa is very, very important. And focus on humility. And take those things that you learn and bring it into you know, your reality. and you know, Take it into actuality. Really do it. The, one of the series that I do want to do down the line, with God's help, only with God's help, is that I want to do a series on character traits. So that is something that I do, Bezat Hashem want to speak out eventually, and that's something down the line. Uh, but the first thing they tell you, open up Musa's Farim and start working and reading and learning about humility and how to grow in it. Okay, next question. I strongly believe in committing to someone and putting as much effort needed to make a marriage strive. Excellent. What do you suggest I look for in a dating a partner to recognize if he has the same deep feelings? Even if he says it, he might not firmly believe it or try his best. So that's, that's very good. That's very true. So it actually happens to be that next week, um, I, you know, I thought I would get to both of them. So what we spoke about now is questions I would ask myself. Next week is questions that I would have to look at the other person and see where the other person is holding. So this is the type of question that how do I know where the other person is, um, is you know, if the other person has that strong conviction to make these things work. And the answer is it's very, very hard to, to ever tell you that this will, you know, that this will, you know, that he, he believes that and he said he could say that. 
How many people go and say, I'm never going to go to sleep angry. I'm never going to go to sleep. Ah, yeah, you know, how much does that actually work out? You know, you say it. There's a lot of things that you say. It, you can't, it's very hard to judge the sincerity of, of, this, of this topic, that how much a person would be willing to make it work. You want to hear something very interesting is that the people that I feel when I speak to them, the people that really want to make things, the marriage work, that I feel the strongest are the children of divorce. The children that have been through bad relationships. They say, I don't want that. I want to make sure that it works. Now, I'm not saying look for somebody from a divorce you know, family, I'm not, but that's something that, that did stick out to me, that you have those type of people that really like, they don't want, they want to make it work. So you have to go, go and, and, and try to feel out the person. And maybe, maybe we could speak about this a little bit more in depth in the next uh, class, Bezat Hashem, on things on what I need to look for in my spouse and how do I know that they have the ability to, uh, to really stick it through. It's, it's not an easy question. It's really learning about the character trait and building through it. And you're not going to get that until after you're married. Uh, the, the minimum that you could do is at least ask them and make sure that they are willing to go through with it. And really, really, you know, make it work. Okay. Ah, I thought there would be more questions. All right. Looks like that is the final question. All right. Thank you all for joining. Thank you all for coming. I really thought I would be able to do this in one class. And I did not even think that, uh, you know, we would have... Okay, we'll split it up into two. Uh, But I don't plan on making another uh, class after this on dating for, um, on this, you know, like in the next, like, yeah, at least a few weeks, I guess what to say. So if there's something that you want me to speak about, and there's something that you want me to do, you could call me, text messages to me, and I could add it into the curriculum for next week's class to, to really address it. Because usually we have a series, and people have like 20, 30, 40 classes to be able to ask a question, so they could, um, they could, they could definitely, uh, you know, uh, bring it up later, but now, you know, I'll do one more class on this, and then we'll take a little bit of a break on this subject. So, uh, yes. Okay, so there was, oh, uh, here it is. There's another question. Okay. Why is it bad to rebuke your spouse if you really care about them, and you can do it in a respectful manner? You know what? We're going to speak about, I have a lot to speak about this. I really have a lot to speak about this. Um... It, yes, spiritually, I, there is a lot that I have to speak about. It. I was. We're gonna save this for next week because there's a lot. Because the, the next week is gonna be about the other person, so we're gonna. I'm gonna put it on the list to speak about for for next week. I hear your question and I agree with you with your question, but we will um, we'll, we'll speak about that Bezat Hashem uh, next week. And if you still have any other you know question, yeah, please. Um, I know you messaged me privately, so you know who you're who you are. Text message me, or, or you know, you can call me after we uh, after we close the class, and we can speak if you still need it. Any I'd other? Like to know, yes. I'd like to know your opinion on something, but first, the Dr. Torsky computer person, could you check your chat? I sent you something. Um, I've noticed, you know, I'm 53, and I've noticed uh, friends, people I know, after 25, 30 years, get a divorce because they just grow in different directions, like. When they were 19, 20, 21, one felt that they needed some guidance and the other one guided them. And then over time, that person started to resent the person that was guiding them or the stronger person because they grew up. They grew out of 
who they were as a younger person. And at 40, 45, 50, they changed. They just grew in different directions. Yeah. That's very, well, we're going to be speaking about that, but I'll show about next week regarding the growth. You're talking about spiritually or just in general? Uh, just in general, you know, just like, you know, at 19, she needed somebody who was stronger and, and that would, you know, keep her guided and going in a direction. And then he was kind of, you know, used to guiding her and being the stronger person. Well, 20 years, 40, she was like, I got this, you know, I don't need somebody breathing down my neck and, you know, guiding me every second on what to do during the day, you know, and people just, they grow like that, they grow in different directions, sometimes the roles change as people get older. I'm... Actually, writing this down, I'm gonna. Be, I'm gonna. You're you're very right on it, and that is a um, that is a fault in each other. They're supposed to go, and they are. They need to go, and really need to focus on their relationship and how they work on it. So, it, it's it's something that we'll speak about. We'll speak about. I'm happy that you brought that up. I actually wrote it down. I'm gonna speak about it. Uh, um, you know, you know, next week because that's a very, very good point. People do grow apart, but and and sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's beyond the ability of like the relationship. But many times it's the way that the relationship was built up, and they should have been growing together, and they didn't for whatever reason. So maybe we'll speak about that next week. Thank you, Shira, for uh, bringing that up. Yes. Um, somebody wanted my contact, so I'm going to put my number on. Oh, nope, I'm sorry, I put it at there. Um, I accidentally put it just to one person. Hold on one second. Let me put that back. Okay. Next question. I am working on myself a lot now while I am single, and I want to reach so many more levels. Does that mean Hashem will send me someone who is also in the middle of growing or someone who is higher than me? I want someone on a higher level. Okay, so that's a great question. You're growing, which is excellent, which is great, and you should be growing, and the focus is to grow. The very important concept is not to wait until you get to the level that you want to get, because our whole life we spend growing. But once you feel confident in a certain um, level, this is really, we'll speak about this next week, especially in the Balchuba world, that's when you have to start, uh, you know, you have to start dating. But yet, your focus is growth. So you should go and find somebody that is willing to grow. That's what you have to go and you have to uh, um, really have to focus on, on growth. So find somebody that's willing to grow. That's very, very important. Okay. Any other questions? Yeah, I'm not allowed to ask a question like now. Like yeah. Ever. Absolutely. All right. So I have a quick question. I I was in I was dating for like maybe the past year and I would say I'm pretty young. Recently I dated a person that I felt was like really super spiritual and was on a greater level than I was and I really admired that. And I decided to take a pause on dating and to grow more in my spiritual self so that I can become a type of person that somebody on that level wants. So I was talking to a really close reference of mine and she told me, she's like, I like, stop putting dating off. Like, just like, don't push it off for another year and say that you need to keep growing because no guy wants a perfect girl. She's like, where you are now is good, but 
don't don't set it off. And for me, that was super confusing because I'm like, you know what? Like, I want to become a better person, but at the same time, I'm being told like, no guy wants someone so perfect and so good. Right. So first of all, I I definitely agree with her, even though the rabbit's in, even though. So I'm happy that you told me that because if you were told me I need to grow, and that that's a big spectrum, like. That could be somebody who doesn't keep Shabbos to start keeping Shabbos. Then I would say, yeah, wait off dating until you start keeping Shabbos because it's two different people that you're speaking with, two different people that you're going to be in the dating realm with. But if you are a good from person and you want to become a better from person, like to a higher level, <clears throat> I wouldn't necessarily say to stop growing. You should always focus on growing. But you have, if you know that you need to grow on X, Y, and Z, then if you begin your journey... If you begin, so let's say you want to grow in like your tefillah, your tzniyas, uh, and um, let's put something else over there. And you what? And your lashon, like. Okay, in, in the way that you speak. So those are three things that, that is great. That means that you're starting to grow tonight. You're starting to grow in your tefillah, your tzniyas, and your lashon, and, your, and the, way that, the, the way that you interact. So these three things, already now you started working on them. That doesn't mean that you have to be like, okay, let me wait for somebody. No, right now you already started working on them. Yeah, that this is where you're holding. Meaning beforehand, you know, the way that people think is that I have to wait till I get to the level that I want to get to and then I'll feel comfortable. Not necessarily. The second that you have a projection, the second that you are like, okay, this is where I want to grow, you're already like, 20 steps ahead of where you are yesterday. You're already on the path. So that is already something that you could say, okay, listen, I'm not there yet, but I know I want to get there. I am motivated, the type of person that I'm motivated, I'm willing to, I'm going to be able to get there. So I want to find a guy who has the qualities of X, Y, and Z as well. I wouldn't necessarily say to, to put a pause on dating for that if that's where you are. It really depends on what is the area that you want to grow. And I really shouldn't have said sneas because that is a, a big area. If somebody's not to get into a whole wormhole in it, but the reason why I, should, I say it, that I shouldn't have said sneas, is that most women want to grow in sneas. But most women want to grow in sneas for the past 75 years of their life. And it changed very, very, it's a very, very hard test. So that might be okay, like I have to like, you know, and it really depends. So you have somebody that's wearing pants and be like, eventually I want to wear a skirt. Or somebody's wearing a skirt and eventually I want to wear a skirt above, below the knee. Or I'm wearing a skirt below the knee, but I eventually want to wear tights. Or I'm wearing tights, I want to wear tights. You know, like everything. So it depends on where you're holding and where you actually see yourself happening. There are, there's growth and then there is the desire for that to happen. So if let's say somebody goes and decides, you know what? I want to go and I want to beat sneeze. So then, they will throw out all their pants, all their Nazi's clothing, and the next day they're tzniyas. So they're already there. They might have temptations, they might have desires, they might slip a little bit here and there. But overall, they went from here all the way up to here. They, they really, really jumped up. But then you have somebody that says, okay, I want to work on my tzniyas. Okay, so I'm going to read some books, listen to some lectures, and maybe I'll think about thinking about throwing away my Nazi and clothing. So there's different really levels on it. But if you're somebody who is serious about growth and you took actions of that growth, then you know, you're, consider yourself more than halfway there. And you shouldn't uh, stop. You should continue uh, with the dating. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Of course. Okay, next question we have here. So let's say you have reached the level that you wanted to reach, dated, etc., and you still haven't found your spouse. What should be the next plan of action? So Rabbi Victor Miller goes and says, you know, people go and they ask him for a school to get married. 
He says, you want, you know, everyone's looking for the school. He says, you want to know a school to get married? He says, the school, the best school to get married is Davin. Davin and Davin. And don't Davin when you're already older. Obviously, if you're already older, you Davin. You start Davining when you're younger and you want to get married. That's when you start Davining and Davining and Davining and Davining. You can't, you want to know what you should do. The next plan of action is Davin. But if you're dating and you haven't found your spouse yet and you've been dating for a while, this is very important. You've been dating for a while, then I would definitely say to speak to somebody because it could be that you're picky on certain items. And we're going to be speaking about Bezal Hashem next week on different things that our people are picky on. So it's very possible that is a, a issue that needs to be dealt with. You have dating coaches, you have rabbis, rabbitsons that go, and you could uh, definitely speak to somebody. If you've been dating for a while and you're still not married, definitely reach out and have that humility to be able to willing to be flexible and change and willing to uh, grow. Very, very, very important uh, for somebody who is very particular in certain matters and they're willing to, you know, be more flexible and grow and, and less picky to make things more blunt. Okay, next question. This may, may be another question for next week. What is the ratio of perspective to looking for qualities in someone else? In regards to his interest in his own personal growth, his interest in doing Hashem's well, Midos, capabilities of raising family, doing Chesed, there's so many important things to look for. So that threw me off. What do you mean by ratio? But yes, this is definitely a question for um, next week. So maybe send it to me privately, and I will add, like clarify that that question more, and I'll I'll focus uh, and I'll put it more into focus into next week. Next week is more about this week is more focus about yourself. Next week is going to be focused about the other person. So we'll we will probably speak about that, but I need clarification on that to add it to next week's um, you know information. Any other questions? Oh, we have one more. I heard that if someone has been dating for a while and hasn't found a spouse yet, they have some type of character trait that's blocking them from finding their zivik. Is this true? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. If someone's been dating and they couldn't find them, it could be. I mean, it's very likely what you're saying. Yes, that it's a character trait. But it's not always. Sometimes people are doing everything right and it's just not the time. Akadosh Baruch Hu, you know, decided that it's not yet time for them to get married. So it's not necessarily that they have something that's wrong with them. A lot of times, yes, they have to, you know, be more lenient on certain things. And there was a certain rav that's, that asked a certain person, like, how many people you dated? And this person said, like, 100. It's like, 100? He says, if I would have dated 100 girls, I could have found at least 70 of them that were worthy of getting married. So, like, what can you find so many? So many times it's, it's our own fault in ourselves. But not necessarily. Sometimes it's just, you know, things that have just been way off. And this Baruch Hu didn't want you to get married yet. So it really depends on case by case. But definitely somebody that's been dating for a while and hasn't needs to speak to somebody and say, listen, and be willing to say, listen, maybe I'm being too picky. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Can you please guide me, help me, you know, change me? I don't know. That's a, a dangerous word. Yeah, somebody would say that. Okay. Uh, looks like that was the last question. So with that, we will end off. And I will say that anybody that does want and to me to speak about anything in particular, please, please send it to me as soon as possible so I could add it on to uh, the next week's uh, you know, class and topic. You could, um, the best thing is to, uh, you know, is to text me or you could technically email to me. I'll try, I'll try to focus, look at the emails this coming up a week, even though I'm bad. So you could email me or, um, or, or text me on Blue Nether. I will try to add it on to next week's uh, next week class. Thank you all for joining. Thank you all for coming. And have an amazing, amazing Shabbat week. 
year and marriage. End off with that. That is a topic after all. All right, all. Have a great, great night. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.